This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Happy birthday to you. Hey, where's mom going? She hasn't even opened her presents. Well, son, she just turned 65, which means there's new offers for her at Specsavers. What? Yep, an eye exam now costs her nothing, and she can get 30% off lens upgrades with any pair of glasses. Wow. So, can we cut the cake now? You betcha. No-cost eye exams are for eligible seniors at all participating locations with costs covered by provincial health care. Conditions apply. See specsavers.ca. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Well, our inaugural Follow the Truth Conspiracy Summit is in the books. Thanks to all of you who came out. Some pretty revelatory stuff went down today at the Region Theatre in Oshawa. And if you were there, um, I don't think I'm exaggerating to suggest you you were a small part of history. Not so small. Uh, Don Schmidt, Jim Penniston, Patty Greer, Professor Ron Mallett, Jim Elvidge, uh, Simka uh, Jacobovici, and, uh, of course, Debbie Papadakis, all amazing uh, speakers. And we're going to take Follow the Truth on the road real uh, soon. So if you missed it, you missed something very special. Uh, But it's not too late. Look for it coming to a town or city near you. Followthetruth.tv. And a special thanks to Paul Coides and Kim Bathija my partners at Fireside Tartan Concert Promotions, and, of course, Patrick and Kadena at Conspiracy Culture, our exclusive vendor. Uh, wow, look at the uh, the calendar. We are coming up again on uh, November 22nd, and last year was the 50th anniversary of the JFK assassination, of course, and I did a fairly lengthy ongoing series leading up to November 22nd with one of the foremost assassination researchers in the field, James D. Eugenio. I think we did 10 parts. But once you pass a milestone like the 50th, it's like, now what do we do? Now we're coming up on on the 51st anniversary. Well, we're going to keep it going. What else is there to do? Uh, The search for the truth is a long, long winding road, and we're not uh, home yet. So step step by step by painful step. And uh, we're going to delve into uh, JFK on the conspiracy show this very night. Everybody talks about the Abraham Zapruder film, of course. It's become synonymous with November 22, 1963. Uh, The Zapruder film is held up as the smoking gun. Frame 313, clear as day, showing the fatal headshot coming from the front, not the rear. Uh, Frame 371, Jackie in her pink suit, 
clambering over the, uh, the trunk of the limo looking for a piece of her slain husband's shattered skull. Who can forget that? That's all part of the Zapruder film. But there was another film shot that day, another home movie reel shot in color, but from the opposite angle. It shows the grassy knoll in the background. And this film has an amazing backstory. The Zapruder film was doctored. Frames were switched. We know that. The Warren Report acknowledges that. But everybody is so hung up on the Zapruder film, they've forgotten about this film, shot on a Keystone 8mm auto-zoom camera by an unassuming friendly giant, six foot six, grandfather named Orville Nix. You're about to hear more about the man who shot that footage, what it showed, and most significantly of all, what happened to that film. Here to tell all is Orville Nix's granddaughter, Gail Jackson Nix, the author of Orville Nix, the Missing JFK Assassination Film, the unflinching true story of an ordinary man swept up in an extraordinary event. Hey, Gail, how are you? I am wonderful, Richard. Thank you for having me on your show. How do you feel when, when, when people describe your grandfather's film, the Orville Nix film, as the second most important film showing uh, the assassination of President Kennedy? What a great question. What, what a great question. Well, okay. So the pride in me, which, you know, I'm really not supposed to do that, thinks, well, now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Who says it's the second most important? We've never even seen what the original shows. No one has seen it. It could be the most important. But this is all we have heard our whole lives. I mean, even my grandfather, I mean, it made him kind of feel badly about it. So I suppose we've become desensitized. Of course, uh, we're referring to uh, the Zapruder film, and that is held up, Abraham Zapruder's film held up as... I mean, but this... To me, it's equally important because I mean, we need them both because your, your exactly. grandfather's film shows the opposite angle of the Zapruder film. But before we get into that, uh, tell me about your grandfather. Oh, well, my grandfather, gosh, I, I'm, I'm very biased and, and subjective in what I'm about to say, but I loved him dearly. And, and he thought he and our relationship was a very strong one in that I was the eldest grandchild and so of course he thought I was the smartest most beautiful most wonderful thing ever going and which is great for a kid's ego by the way every grandparent should do that with their grandkids but um, my grandfather had a fourth grade education and I do believe for most of his life he felt like the insecurities of that he pushed him deep down inside but I do believe he tried to make up for it and being a great husband and us being a semi-pro golfer and making everybody at the General Services Administration, which was a government agency, um, making them happy, uh, never missing work ever, and just, I, I mean, and flirting with the ladies, okay. I mean, he did do that. But, but he was very charismatic and had a lot of personality, so, you know, I, I just think he was most a wonderful, wonderful man. Now, he, he was a, an air conditioning uh Engineer, engineer at the it was oh the, thank you that's a nice <laughs> word engineer yes of course so and it's he worked at the the terminal annex building which was located where in the Dealey Plaza okay it would have been on the south side of Dealey Plaza but I, I, I let me add this Richard he had only been transferred there like a month before he they had given him um, a promotion and they also paid for him to get his GED at at Southern Methodist University so he could get that promotion. So where he worked before was in where the FBI building was, and that's how he met Forrest Sorrells. But anyway, the Terminal Annex building is the big white building that you'll see in 
Dealey Plaza on the south side. And that's where, actually, um, Mr. Holmes, the postal inspector who was the last one to interview Lee Harvey Oswald, that's where his offices were. Um, many of the people that were interviewed for Mark Lane Rush to Judgment and very few were interviewed for the Warren Commission worked there. And we're right. watching the parade from there. And you mentioned your father's friendship with Forrest Sorrells, and he, of course, was uh, the uh, Secret Service uh, agent right. ahead, of, uh, ahead of Kennedy's security that day. Now, uh, you, were, you and your mom uh, were on your way to, to, to meet uh, your grandfather in right. Dallas. Right, and my grandmother. Yes, right. we were. And I was a bratty little kid, yeah, you know, and I, I can imagine because I, I have kids now, and it really is true that when you're kind of bratty, you get it back ten times. I'm just kidding. My kids are great. Um, but anyway, I, on, uh, on our way down, we had taken the bus, and we're going to meet him because we, he was going to drive us home. We, we only needed one car. And the crowds were so thick. I, I, my goodness. I, I mean, there were people everywhere. And it was hard for um, a boisterous and um, rambunctious child, I mean, and a young mother and then a grandmother to navigate through the crowds. And right as about five minutes before we were supposed to meet him, of course, I had to go to the restroom. And so we made our way across the street from the Adolphus Hotel to the little Tencent store there, a dime store is what my grandmother called it. And we sat down in a booth and waited, I mean, for the motorcade to come by. And so, I mean, you missed it. I mean, you missed. And, uh, yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and thankfully so for, for, how old were you at the time? I, five. Yeah, that's I not something five. you need yeah. to witness. That's not something yeah. you need to have witnessed. Yeah. So. Well, you know, where we were sitting, Richard, I mean, where we were, um, the shots didn't happen until like maybe four blocks later. I mean, it was very close, uh, uh, but, but not where we were sitting, you know, where we were on um, Main Street. Right. Now, uh, so tell me about, again, where your grandfather was standing, and uh, he's got a, a Keystone 8mm camera with him. Yes. And, and he's standing yes. where exactly? Okay, he is standing on the corner of Maine and Houston. And Maine is the street that, that the parade had gone down all the way through Dallas, but then it took the turn on Houston and then another turn on Elm, which, of course, where... Right. The terrible thing happened. So um, he was across, very far across. And so his keystone had an auto zoom on it. That's why it looks like it's closer than where he is really standing. Right. And it's also kind of dark, but that's because he had indoor film. He had the wrong kind of right. film. Right. Right. He was using the wrong kind of film. But I want to tell you something that I have since found out doing my research um, about where <laughs> my grandfather's film could be and where what it could show. Um, Moses Weitzman who is um, a wonderful, wonderful man and still is around, who worked for FX Studios, told me, he said, Gail, normally using indoor film should bring more light in because it is indoor film. And he said, I've never understood why people talk about the Knicks film using the wrong type film when essentially it should have been over-lightened. But if you'll notice, Richard, have you seen the film before? Yes, yes. Okay, you see how dark it is? That's it. Yeah, exactly. Odd, isn't it? That's so, odd, isn't it? So you're you know? saying that that it shouldn't be that dark because no. the because the I guess the it's auto zoom, but it, the exposure would have maybe uh, been automatic as well. I'm guessing, and maybe it would have right. it should have compensated right, right, right. for that. And it's, the type of film it is, 
I mean, automatically lets more light in because of the, I guess. I mean, I am hmm. no photo expert at all. I, I'm just going by what Mr. Weissman told me. Right. Okay, so uh, we're going to head into a break shortly, but let's just get this part of the conversation rolling, and then we'll take a time out, come back, and continue. Uh, what, when we say that, uh, you know, the, the, the Orville Nix film shows the opposite angle of the Zapruder film, so what, uh, well, first of all, there are like three sort of clips. There's the, right. the, uh, the, the, the parade, uh, the motorcade, uh, before it turns onto, uh, onto Elm, correct? Exactly. And then we see the actual uh, shots being fired That's and nice. Jackie cr- crawling out under the, the hood and, and um, uh, Secret Service agent Clint Hill jumping onto the moving car. Of course, all iconic images. Uh, but right. f- so, but what else do we see? In, in We see the grassy knoll in its entirety. And we see the picket fence area. And we see the um, motorcade zooming off to Parkland Hospital. And then my grandfather pans back. So we see all those things, and and I don't know if you want me to go into this yet or not, but the thing is, none of the committees, not the Warren Commission, the House Select Committee, all the way up to the Assassination Records Review Board, not a one of them, Richard, studied the next film in its entirety. Only eight frames. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, we will get into that. Uh, We will definitely uh, get into that. Uh, So... But you're, you're, uh, we'll come back and we'll discuss more about what's in the film. And we're just heading into a timeout here. But your, your grandfather really didn't know what he, he wasn't sure what he had until several days no, later. Not at all. Not at all. Um, the Keystone camera has a grip on it. And he was so white knuckled. Well, it, not at the beginning. Okay, when you see that first part of his film where it shows Houston, when, <laughs> I laugh because. Uh, the reason why he left, why he moved to go, get, go down Main Street a little further is because he had gotten a senator, Ralph Yarborough, on there waving at him, and he really didn't like Ralph Yarborough. <laughs> so I, I, it upset him a little bit, and he was like, oh, I, I don't want a picture of, of him. I want to see the president. So that's why he went back down Main. But by the time he had walked, you know, the other way towards – and actually, my grandfather was quite tall. Six foot so six, my it, word. He oh, was yes. A, yeah. So his walking would be like you and I probably running, yeah, the, you know? The human crane take, shot. Right, right. And he could take large strides. So by the time he started walking down Maine, or like I said, running, um, there, the, the shots were occurring. I, I mean, they were happening, and he was watching people dive bomb all around him. And so he was white-knuckling um, the grip on the camera. And, you know, he didn't even realize that he had assassination footage. He knew he had Ralph Yarbrough. He knew that. But he didn't know that he had the assassination footage. All right, we'll take a time out. Gail Nix-Jackson, grandfather of Nick uh, Orville Nix, and uh, her book is Orville Nix, The Missing JF- JFK Assassination Film, the unflinching true story of an ordinary man swept up in an extraordinary event. Back with more here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrick. Why don't you stay a while? And we are back with Gail Nix-Jackson, grandfather of Orville Nix. Her book, Orville Nix, The Missing JFK Assassination Film. And uh, let's uh, talk a little bit again about the angle uh, that, uh, the perspective that uh, Orville uh, captured on this film. It it has been, my, my grandfather's film has been called everything from the conspiracy film, well, to, like you had mentioned at the beginning of the program, the second important film, but um, 
I, because it does show the grass, you know, there was a an early, early, late 63, early 64, a researcher named Jones Harris. Yes. Who um, had access to all, I mean, because of who he was. He was Ruth Gordon's son. The the um, Wonderful actress, actress. Wonderful actress. Harold, yes, and, yes. Harold and Maude, one of my favorite films. Yeah, yeah, and um, that was his, that's his mom. So he had access that many of us don't have to people in the industry, in that industry. And he was able to procure some time with UPI, who had bought the film from my grandfather, to see and analyze um, the next film. And he took it to this most wonderful man, Bernie Hoffman, who later became just renowned for his photo work and his photography work right up there with Ansel Adams mm. and um, the both of them had seen a figure on the pergola area and you know what I'm talking about the pergola yes, area that's yes. where the cross hatch is of the okay and in that they could see what looked like an estate car which we later found out was called Honest Joe's car and a man that they feel like they see leaning up against that car. Now, they showed this to UPI, who was so excited because they figured the Knicks film, I mean, like, Time Life had called it a nuisance film. Well, UPI thought it was just nothing more than just, oh, well, we got something. And um, they were all excited. They thought, oh, my gosh. I mean, we're, we're about to make real big names for ourselves with this film. So they sent it to iTech, who studied those frames and um, declared that, it was shadows and leaves. Right. Branches now, on the wall of the pergola. Right. Exactly. Now, an interesting fact is that iTech was owned by, C by a CIA man named Frank Lindsay. Oh, isn't that and interesting? And most of their contracts were CIA contracts. And I didn't know this. I mean, I, no one in my family knew this. And, you know, Maurice Schoenfeld, who worked for UPI, said he didn't realize it either. But Frank Lindsay was the man in the CIA who worked on the Kim Philby case, if you're familiar with that. No, I'm not. Anyway, I'm not, quite honestly. Uh, a spy, okay. uh, an espionage um, case that had to do with you 2 and Gary Powers, all these things. Ah, okay. I, well, that yeah. all ties in. <laughs> that yeah, all ties into so, the history of Oswald, doesn't it? <laughs> yes. I, it's just very odd to me. I, uh, The more research and the more I found, I was like, oh, my gosh. I mean, I, no wonder it's missing. No wonder the film is missing. And anyway... Um, I'm sorry, let's get back to what I was talking about. The classic gunman Im image is what was called Jones-Harris, that figure that he saw. Right, the, so, the second... The classic the, gunman image. Or the second and, gunman on the grassy knoll, as they say. Right, and well, and, and it has been debunked by most everyone as being, ah, oh, well, that's just cognitive dissonance. People are just seeing what they want to see. I mean, there, there's, not, there's nothing there. But, you know, it's odd to me that UPI in later years, like after Jones-Harris and... Bernie Hoffman had done this work, when you would see copies of the Knicks film everywhere, I have never seen an original, and I'm 56 years old, I've never seen my grandfather's original film, but um, in later copies, that part would be cut out. You wouldn't see the top of the grassy knoll. Interesting. That pergola Interesting. area. Well, it, here's the thing. Now, first of all, I, I, I find it fascinating that back in 1965, uh, iTech or anybody had the capability to do computer enhancements of film. I had oh, no idea we had that technology. Uh, oh, Richard, 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 you and I could talk forever about this one now. I, 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 Hawkeye Works, which 
only <laughs> was revealed to the American public last year as even existing had optical capabilities then I mean, that, that we, of course, are no big deal to us now. Anyone with a computer and some expensive software could have, you know, that now. Sure. But they had it then. That's 50 years ago. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, this is the government paying for this, and they've got an extensive um, bank account. Sure. I've, I've, I mean, they, can, they I've, can afford to do these things. I've always said, and it's just like Ben Rich said at Skunk Works, we have, the, you know, capabilities that are 50 years beyond your wildest imagination. We do and i i think that's why my husband and i both like the um some of the better uh sci-fi movies or dystopian movies because you know just like jones harris had access to some of the things the the media during that time there are other directors in our time too that do have that access too right they're telling us the truth knowledge or privy to those things that's right McLuhan said we tell each other the truth through films and we lie to each other through television Oh, my goodness, yes. It's the truth. It's so, the truth. Uh, now, the thing is, okay, so they could dismiss the, the, the second grassy Noel Gunman uh, as, you know, shadows on the, on the wall, as Plato said. Uh, right. But with, when you put that together with, I mean, your, your grandfather went around and he started asking. I mean, he thought the shots came from the grassy Noel. He asked oh, Forrest Sorrels. He asked from Forrest Sorrels. Right. And, and the head of the, <clears throat> the Secret Service that day. And what did Forrest Sorrell say? Yeah, that's where he thought they came from, too. Right. But he asked other people. Uh-huh. Just, every, uh-huh. just about everyone he asked thought that... They... Everyone he asked said the same thing. Said, well, of course that's where they came from. And his friend, his, not his friend, really, it was more his supervisor, J.C. Price there at the Terminal Annex building, which you can see his Warren Commission testimony in there. And you can see him on Mark Lane's Rush to Judgment. Um, he said, you know, Orville... If we ran our business like <laughs> the Warren Commission is running their business, we'd all be out on the breadline. I, 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 he said, everybody knows that's where the shots came from. Everybody, And, you know, the thing is, Richard, oh, my goodness, I just get off, so keep me on track, okay? Um, <laughs> the thing is, there were many shots that day. I mean, everyone wants to say there were three or two or three. My grandfather said he heard five. And other people did, too. And it doesn't mean that just because there was someone on the grass, you know, that's who shot Kennedy, he could have missed. Lee Harvey Oswald could have missed. Sure. I mean, there, there were people, I, I just think that we all need to kind of wake up and say, look, there were people everywhere. I, I mean, it's not just, we're not just talking about the school book depository, nor are we just talking about the grassy knoll. I mean... That, of course, is where my grandfather felt they came from, as did so many other witnesses. You know, well, you why know, with, else would the police have run up there? With, well, with the triangulation and so forth, I'm, I've, right. I've often joked, I think the only people that didn't have a gun that day were Kennedy and his wife. <laughs> and my grandfather. But, but his right. keystone had a grip on it, which is kind of like a gun. So, I, <laughs> there you, you go. know. <laughs> so, uh, let, let's continue on in, with the timeline. So, uh, after your, I mean, your, your grandfather, again, didn't know what he had. So, the next, I mean, he went back to Daly Plaza a few days later. In his... Oh, no, 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 the next morning. He oh, the next morning. He wanted to show my grandmother. Yeah. Okay. He wanted to show my grandmother what she had missed because of their bratty grandkid, me, I, I, that she couldn't get down there. So, yeah, he wanted to show her where where he, you know, where he was, where he was standing and all the areas, and he even went up to the school book depository because by, obviously, uh, Friday night, it, you know, it's nonstop news. It's 24-hour news sure. talking about how the shots came from the school book depository and 
um, yeah. So he went back that next morning and took some more film, and he looks down at his view, the footage, you know, that shows the footage, right. how much footage has been taken, and he realizes he's still got footage, so he's like, oh, well, my, I don't want my wife to gripe at me about buying any more film. I'll just, you know, I'll just keep using it, and I'll take pictures of the kids later, or I'll do whatever. He went to a football and game in, in, uh, as The well. next weekend. Yeah. My grandfather, that assassination footage was in his camera for a week. Wow. Yeah. 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 So my dad called him. Um, they had canceled all the football games. And you know Texas. We're a big football state. Friday so, Night Lights. Uh, they, <laughs> yeah. And so they had canceled all the football games and moved them and doubled up like the next weekend. And so my mother's brother had a girlfriend that was a majorette or something. And um, he called... Um, my dad and said could you go take pictures i mean your your dad's got a film got a camera could you go take pictures of my girlfriend because she's performing and my dad was tired i mean here's a young father of three and working three jobs and so he calls my grandfather and he said dad if can you go take pictures uh, if you still got film would you go take them and my grandfather's like well i want to be home in time to watch my wrestling but okay i'll go do it <laughs> and and he went down there to the football game didn't even know who he was supposed to be taking pictures of and looked down after he was finished and all his film was gone so he dropped it off at Dynacolor on his way home didn't think any more of it nothing more of it you try telling kids and, today about film processing places <laughs> no oh, idea yeah, that's true that's true isn't it they would have to take them to labs and and drop them off and get them like two or three days later sometimes a week I mean it didn't happen in a hurry and anyway he, he gets home he's still in time to watch his wrestling watches his wrestling and falls asleep and the phone rings in the middle of the night and he answers the phone, and they're like, Mr. Nix? And my grandfather's like, ugh. I mean, you know how you are in the middle of the night when you get a phone call? You're scared that somebody's hurt in your family. or Sure. It's you know, the worst, it, it the worst feeling in the world. Right, right. And so they said, well, we thought you, you had an assassination footage here that we had missed and that we had gotten lost, and it, but you need to come down here because the FBI has issued this, um, I suppose, some sort of edict that we have to turn over every film that shows the assassination to them. But you're our customer, and we want you to see it before we do that. So my grandfather's like, well, maybe they're just thinking it's what he, you know, because he still didn't realize that he had assassination footage. He thought maybe they were just talking about <laughs> Ralph Yarbrough. Right, and so right. he called my dad and, and in the middle of the night, too, and went over and picked him up, and they both went down to the Dynacolor lab. And it's just a big white wall, Richard, just a, not even a screen. And they played it for him over and over. And my grandfather was astounded. I had tears in his eyes. He was upset. I mean, he couldn't believe it. I, I mean, that you could see the, the, kid, the uh, president being killed and, and Jackie in the hole. It, it was, he told me one time, as it, you know, before he died, that was probably one of the worst nights of his life. I mean, seeing right, all of that. Right. So, but it also um, sealed your father's place in, or your grandfather's place in history. Yes, it did. Yeah. Yes, it did. And you know, Richard, I don't want to get philosophical or sentimental, but you know what? I believe that things happen for a reason. Likewise. I, likewise. He was meant to be there. Absolutely. I, I mean, in filming that film. I I, that I, it, I totally concur with that 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 philosophy. And that it's lost. 
Well, we we have to get into that. Why, you know, how it? Uh, yeah. How, I was yeah. going to say how it turned up missing. Right. <laughs> Gail Nix. Gail Nix Jackson is with with us, the author of Orville Nix, the missing JFK assassination film, the unflinching true story of an ordinary man swept up in an extraordinary event. Back with more of our conversation right here on the Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Gail Nix Jackson stays with us. Uh, so. This edict uh, went out to all the film processing labs, and your grandfather's film of the JFK assassination uh, was handed over uh, to the right. FBI. Right. And well, but it was handed over by my grandfather. Right. So and he took why? It. Because he was a good patriot. You know. Sure. He yeah. He said he wanted to do anything he could to help figure out or help find out why this happened and how. And of course, in our hometown, we were all born and raised here. My grandfather, my grandmother. My dad, my mom, me, my my brother, sister, my kids, yeah. all from Dallas, you know? It, it was a, a horrible thing. Well, it was a horrible thing to happen, but an even more horrible thing to happen in Dallas when it's your hometown. Exactly. You know? uh, exactly. You know, that what a wonderful city, and to be sort of forever known as, you know, that the place where Kennedy was shot. Now, let me ask you, this is an aside, and, and it's, I don't know, apropos of nothing perhaps, but, you know, it's interesting that your your grandfather was filming Kennedy just before or after uh, uh, Nellie Connolly, the governor's wife, says to, 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 to Jack, you, you can't say Dallas doesn't love right. you, Mr. President, and then that happens. Right. Um, Isn't that... Oh, oh, it gave me chills when you just said that. But, I, I, but, but I mean, how did, your, how did your granddad, how did your family feel about Kennedy being Texans? Well, okay. <laughs> My grandfather wasn't a very big politico at, any, at, at all, honestly. I mean... He didn't like politicians, didn't like politics, but he did appreciate and like Mr. and Mrs. Kennedy. Now, my dad, being the younger, rebellious, you know, son, was a Goldwater man and was always trying to talk my, my grandfather into voting Republican and Goldwater and all those things. Isn't that interesting um, how he said the rebellious one would be the conservative? I know. Yeah, I know. It's the irony of it all, isn't it? And, uh, of course, he could never convince my grandfather to do that. But, yeah, they were very upset. And they were glued to the television station that weekend, like everyone else in America and the world, for that matter. I mean, we're watching every single thing. And um, at one point, my grandfather was so upset. And now this is before the film. This is before he had realized he'd taken the film. And... um, they were talking about how Lee Harvey Oswald had taken the shots from the Texas School Book Depository. And my grandmother looked at him and said, you know, um, Orville, you know, I, I don't see how you can say that the shots came from the grassy knoll and they've caught this man red-handed. Because, you know, you're going to believe everything that the government tells you. You're going to believe your police department. You're going to believe why. You would not even, I mean, that's the furthest thing from anyone's mind that your government's going to lie to you. Sure. I, I mean, especially during that time. Yes, this is before Watergate. This is before. Come on, you know. yeah, yeah. I, I mean, and my grandmother was like, well, "Come on, Orville." I mean, I, the Dallas Police Department. You know how good they are. I mean, now we know now, really. But back then in '63, you know how good they are. Well, There's no way your mayor and was I, your mayor was the brother of, uh, of CIA, the CIA. <laughs> right? Who had just been fired, right. Now, um, uh, let me ask you, uh, okay, so he turns the film over to the FBI and he, and uh, with his camera. They wanted the camera as well. Oh, yes. What did yes. they do with the camera, the FBI? They kept it and kept it and kept it longer. 
And my grandfather was starting to get very nervous and was having my mother type letters to them saying, okay, I need my camera, I need my camera. And, you know, all these things are in the Warren Warren Commission and in his files, too. It's really funny. Uh, All the letters that um, my mother had sent to asking where the camera is. And when they finally gave it back to him after five months, Richard, five freaking months, um, it was in pieces. They gave it to him in a box. And my dad and he went to go pick it up. And um, my dad noticed as he was going out to the car that he could hear things jostling around in it. And he said, Dad, did you give him other things besides your camera? And he goes, no, they just got my camera. And so they get in the car and they open it up, and there it is in pieces. The spring which is the mechanism that does the timing, is all bent. Um, the viewfinder is off. I mean, it's just in pieces. And now, okay, my grandfather thought of himself as this great photographer, okay? This is the same man who used the wrong film and the wrong lens and all. But he thought of himself as a great photographer, and he was livid. I, I mean, <laughs> my dad has told us this story and my grandfather too so many times my grandfather used curse words that my dad had never heard before and especially coming out of his own dad's mouth what the heck do they think i am here i what no wonder they had it so long and so he marches back into the fbi office and says no this will not do and look at my camera how could you do this they immediately call the fbi and get it passed to hoover to say, yes, we'll fix it for him. And I think that the, the bill to have it fixed was like $5.73 and 63 you know, you know what I mean? It wasn't that much to put it all together. But the point here is, Richard, once a spring is bent, you don't re – the spring cannot be fixed again. So in essence, that camera could never, ever be used again to recreate what my grandfather saw. You know, right, and and the when he took it in, they 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 ran a print off for him, right? So he didn't have the original, and you never got the original back. Oh no 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 no! Oh, you're talking about the day that he took it into the to the FBI. That's right. They made a copy. Um, UPI um, later gave my dad a copy, uh, my grandfather a copy, but um, no, they kept their copy, and he took the original. He took the original to UPI. Ah, he took the original to UPI. Okay. Right. And he right. sold it to them for, what was it, $5,000? Yeah, after going to Time Life, who sat there and looked at it over and over and over, and finally C.D. Jackson and Chapin Carpenter and all the big wigs, okay, okay. save for Henry Luce. Um, Sorry, i got to jump in here, them. Gail. I'm, I'm late oh. for a break. My fault. Let's uh, reconnoiter right. on the other side. Back with Gail Nix-Jackson talking about her grandfather, Orville Nix, and his historical footage right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. And we are back with Gail Nix-Jackson, author of Orville Nix, The Missing JFK Assassination Film. All right, so uh, the original he takes to, uh, to UPI, UPI, sells it to them for $5,000. That's a lot of money 50 years ago. Oh, well, no, I'm sorry. I, I just misspoke. He took it to Time Life. Time Life it paid for his trip, so that's where he went first. Okay. And when, they, when he went up there and they watched it over and over and over, and at that point, that's when he said, you know, this looks different this than what I remember seeing, but you know, he didn't think anything of it. Um, anyway, Time Life, when they finally turned around to say to him in, in their big suits and in their Eames chairs, and they said to him, Mr. Nix, we look at this film as a nuisance film, and we're willing, since you came so far from Texas, we're willing to give you $3,000. Now, you have to understand, Richard, by this time, 
um, the, the news has come out about how much money the pruders had been paid. And my grandfather thought, well, okay, if mine is showing the other side and it's not as clear, surely mine is worth half of what his is worth, you know? And what did Zapruder forget? Um, essentially $150,000 in, wow. in 63. But um, the, the public was told that it was 25000 and that he had donated that to Mr. Tibbetts' widow, Officer Tibbetts' widow. Um, James Wagonboard, uh, who was the man that introduced my father and my grandfather to the Time Life executives, and who now is a dear friend, I talk to him often, um, said that that's not the truth. He is someone you all want to talk to at some time. He knows. He, he's like a Time Life whistleblower. Right. right. And, and I, again, things happen for a reason. While I was writing this book, he and I, he called me. I, and don't you think that's just odd? I, 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 and he said, I remember them saying these things to your grandfather, saying we called it a nuisance film. And he said, I looked up at this big Texan. And I, my blood drained from my face because I thought, okay, he's either going to have a heart attack as red as he was turning, or he's going to go all John Wayne on these guys. And honestly, <laughs> he said, there was a part of me that wanted him to go all John Wayne. Why did they consider it a nuisance film? <laughs> I, I don't know why they ever said that. I don't even know why they said that. I guess because it, it wasn't as close. You know what I mean? It's not as detailed as the Zapruder film is, but... It was the wrong type film, and it was darker. And I guess they just figured it just wasn't worthy of anything. So, what did he when he when your grandfather noticed immediately there was something different than when he had seen it at Dynacolor? Uh, once he got it, the original back from the FBI, took it to Time Life. What was there anything in particular he thought was different? Did he think Here's there were frames? Frames were Here's missing. What he told us, yeah, that's that's what he told us. He said it looks like there's something missing, and it's jumpy. And it's darker. Those are the only things we ever got. I mean, I, you know, like I said, I, I, none of us in our family are photo experts by any means, but it's kind of like writing a book or painting a picture. Taking a film when it's yours, you, you notice little minute details that maybe someone else wouldn't. You right. know what I mean? And there was something about it that he felt was different, though he could never put his finger on it. So... He just said it just looked different. Right. That, that's all he ever said. It so just jumping ahead, I mean, he took it to, to UPI. They paid five thousand, and and uh, right. sort of in it. They were waiting for him at the bottom of the stairs <laughs> when he left Time Life. Oh, in is a, that right? In a huff. Is yeah. that right? So yeah. So uh, the the upshot was that you got the film back in what 1990, 1988, something I like did. that. I tried. I began in nineteen eighty eight. Such a nice man that was working for UPI said, you are absolutely right. In 63, copyright laws were 25 years. So, yeah, we were more than happy to give it back to you. And he was so kind. And two days later, when I hadn't heard back from him, I called and they said, he's no longer with the company. They fired that man for helping me. Wow. Isn't that horrible? And so they said, we're sorry, Miss Nix Jackson. I, I talked to some other new attorneys there. And we're sorry, Miss Jackson. I... You know, it, the copyright law changed in 77, so you've got to wait another two years. But at that time, yes, you will get it back. You will get all the... Well, UPI at that time was no longer UPI. It was called Worldwide Television News, WTN. They had taken all of UPI's holdings. So in 1990, when they finally gave me the green light to go get my things, um, I sent Robert Groden, Gary Mack, who is now the archivist at the Sixth Floor Museum, suggested 
that I have Robert Groden go get it because he lived in Pennsylvania. So he went up there and retrieved all of the copies and brought it back, and that's when we realized there was no original there. I mean, I have no idea how many years it's been missing now. I will tell you that since I have been on this quest, I have narrowed down the window to where it came up missing between 73 and 76, which is House Select Committee. <clears throat> but it's also the time that Robert Groden was working on it for executive action and that Mo Weitzman saw Red Bandana Man. It, it, all these things happened during those three years. Right, right. And Very strange. Mark Lane, um, your, your, your grandfather appeared in, in his documentary, Rush to Judgment, in 1967. Right, right. And uh, he did one other thing after that, and that was it. He wouldn't even go to Garrison's trial. But it's interesting because while your grandfather explained he thought the three shots came from the grassy knoll, he said he was satisfied with the Warren Commission's conclusion. Oh, right. He worked for the government. He was not about... He lived through the Depression... You know, he liked playing poker. He liked buying film. He liked my grandmother not griping at him about money. There was no way he was going to do anything to upset his job with the government. Not going to happen, you know? Not, and it, I mean, it makes perfect sense to me. So, I understand it totally, you know? So in your quest to find the original and so forth, and then this led you into investigating the event that you missed by, you know, mere moments, I guess, or because of a... right. Uh, where, where did this lead you exactly? And where are you now in terms of what you think happened on November 22nd? Well, we all have our opinions, and, and we all... I will tell you first off, Richard, I have always believed my grandfather. He had no reason to lie. And he stood up there against CBS. He said what he said to Mark Lane. He said what he said to Forrest Sorrells. Always the same. He never changed that the shots came from behind what he called the stockade fence, which we know as the picket fence area. And in my research and in my findings and in talking to Moses Weitzman, that is exactly where he saw a gunman. Right, right. It was behind the stockade fence, the picket fence area. That's exactly where he saw one. Now, why, tell me, pray tell, I don't understand. Why would... UPI, which they did, by the way, why would they not make a bigger deal out of it than this? They sent it to JPL. JPL, and I have spoken with the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, which was a division of NASA. I've spoken with the man who worked for JPL during that time, and he told me we didn't get a whole film. We just got frames. Well, that doesn't even make sense, but it's the very same thing that the House Select Committee, Doctors Clyde Snow, and Paul Rutling, it's the very same thing they told me. It's the very same thing the indices say in the Warren Commission. It's like it's a, it's like it's a rote script. That they, I mean, that everyone is supposed to say, yes, we just um, looked at or analyzed eight frames of the next film. Why didn't anyone look behind the picket fence area? Why did they not look, you know, at Gary Mack's badge man? I mean, why did none of that happen? Because it is the next film that would have shown or could have shown any of those things. It may not show anything. It may not, Richard, if we were to ever find the original. But it could have. And, and these people had it at their disposal at a time with the right equipment, with the right funding, where they could have looked at it. And no one did. Now, why is that? What do you... Uh, 
Um, I know I, it's rhetorical. I know. I, I, I just get so passionate. I get so upset about it. I, I sure. you know. Well, I mean, an entire generation uh, right. and, and more have and, and continues, you know, to scratch their heads. And, and But, you know, here we are uh, 51 years later. Uh, and are you, have you drawn any conclusions about Oswald's involvement? Yes. I, well, I always have. I, 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 here's how I look at it. I do believe this man was part of all of this in a covert way. I believe that he got in over his head. But as far as shooting the president, knowing what we know about a man like Kirkano, if even that was the rifle used, um, knowing what we know about him, I, I just don't see him being, I mean, he may have taken a shot, even though there was no gun residue on his, on his cheek, which there should have been. Not unless he I'm shot not- him with curtain rods. Right. <laughs> That's true. But I will tell you, too, I am dear friends with Buell Frazier. I, I believe him, too. His story has never changed over the years. I, I mean, I, I don't know. And he says that he doesn't think that Oswald did it. I, I believe that Oswald was part of this. I, I don't find him to be a hero by any means. I don't. But I do believe he really was a patsy. I do. And, and I believe that there were shots from the Knoll area. And you know what? I, some of the um, trajectories and people who know much more about physics and geometry than I do have suggested and have proven to me, because I'm not a dumb blonde, I mean, well, okay, some people might think so, I don't think I am, <laughs> that the Daltex building, yes. which is where the perfect, perfect location right. across the street, exactly. the, the Daltex building. Exactly. And they found a shell on the roof, of course. Exactly. So I, you know, I, this was a huge, this is, I, I, Oliver Stone did something great, his movie, there are lots of, I have lots of issues. They used some of your granddad's film in, in JFK. He did. Yeah, yeah he did. I, I love, the best thing that happened about his movie is that it opened the JFK Assassination Act. That is the very best thing that happened because of that movie. And that the ARRB weren't able or didn't go further than what they could have, that is upsetting. Well, listen, Gail, I've really, uh, we're out of time. I've enjoyed our conversation. And, uh, you know, I think we've made great strides in the last, say, 20 years in sort of unraveling this mystery. Hopefully, oh, it, I won't, agree. Hopefully it won't take us another 50 uh, to resolve it all because we are racing against the undertaker, of course, uh, in terms of, you know, witnesses and so forth. Listen, I, uh, exactly. um, congratulations on Orville Nix, the missing JFK assassination film, Gail. Oh, thank you, Richard. And thank you so much for having me on. If Will you let people know that I, if they do have any idea of where the film could be, to please contact you or me? Will do. We'll put out that call. All thank, right. Thank, thank you so you much. Thank you so much. Gail Nix Jackson. What a courageous woman. Uh, she's dedicated her life not only to trying to find the original undoctored ver- version of her grandfather's film, but also uh, dedicated her life to bringing honor to her grandfather. Gail, Orville is looking down on you, and he is so proud. RichardSerrett.com is your portal to The Conspiracy Show. Don't forget our Google channel. Albert Vinzel, my story producer, has worked so hard on both the uh, the website and the Google channel. Uh, so the Google channel, The Conspiracy Show, I should say the YouTube channel, uh, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And uh, also say hello on Twitter, at Richard Serrett. And, well, you know what to do. As always, follow the truth. Thanks for inviting me into your home, as always. And and that's not a privilege I take lightly. I think you know that by now. You know, it's a tricky thing. Someone opens their door, their mind, their heart. You come into their living room, their den, 
maybe their bedroom. And I was, I was raised in a certain way. You get invited to someone's home, you're supposed to bring a gift. Maybe, a, I don't know, a bottle of wine or some baked goods. Uh, but I don't have any of those things for you. Uh, just stories and uncomfortable truths and, and pieces of a puzzle. Uh, and, a, and a promise that if you stay with me for a couple of hours, I'll do my best to try and make sense of it all uh, with you and for you. Because I'm, I'm just like you. I'm scrabbling around in the dark looking for some truth. Just give me some truth, as Mr. Lennon said. And, and speaking of John Lennon, the anniversary of his execution is coming up around again. And lest we forget, my team here at The Conspiracy Show are cobbling together a special program for you in a few weeks. And I think there's a substantial amount of credible evidence that John Lennon was targeted, if not for outright assassination, then certainly for harassment. I mean, we already know he was heavily surveilled and harassed, and we've we've seen the heavily redacted FBI files, and the MI6 had the same program, uh, and they will not release those files or the redacted portions of those files due to national security reasons. Well, what could that be 34 years later? Uh, anyway, we know these indisputable facts. These are indisputable facts, that there was a program called COINTELPRO, or an acronym for Counterintelligence Program, and that was a series of covert and at times illegal projects conducted by the U.S. Federal Bureau of Investigation, and they were surveying and infiltrating and discrediting and disrupting numerous uh, domestic political and uh, then the NSA, they had their own uh, project, Corret, and they targeted the personal communications of leading Americans who criticized the Vietnam War. And you think, well, that was all in the past, right? Uh, and, and, and COINTELPRO was most active, supposedly, uh, between about 1956 and 71. And the FBI, their motivation or their stated objective was protecting national security, preventing violence, and maintaining the existing social and political order. But how do we know that was all in the past? I think many of us suspect that COINTELPRO is still very much active. In fact, it's perhaps more out in the open than ever before. They're casting their net even wider, infiltrating more groups, ratcheting up their activities. Let's learn more, shall we? Sherry Kane is an investigative journalist, news commentator, psychosocial analyst, political activist, specializing in uncovering media persuasion and manipulation, conspiracy realities, and women's, children's, and animal rights issues. She's the vice president of Medical Veritas Journal and the co-founder of 528revolution.com. She's published works in various newspapers, magazines, websites. Maybe you've seen her on Conspiracy Theory with Jesse Ventura. She's the co-host of the Insight Hour on bbsradio.com, along with our good friend Dr. Len Horowitz, who joined us last week on the program. And she's, in fact, currently collaborating with Len on various projects, including Healthy World, uh, Healthy World Organization, the alternative to the corrupt World Health Organization, quote-unquote, HealthyWorldAffiliates.com, and the 528 Love Revolution, advancing the power of the 528 hertz frequency of love and healing for a musical revolution and spiritual renaissance with 528records.com and i528tunes.com. Quite a resume, uh, quite a woman. Sherry Kane, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Thank you so much, Richard. Thank you for having me on. I, uh, I gave kind of a laundry list of some of uh, the, the you know, counterintel 
uh, Pro's uh, activities. But but uh, tell us more. What what else do we need to know about uh, COINTELPRO? <laughs> well, I can tell you personally that Dr. Horowitz, Dr. Horowitz and I are victims of COINTELPRO, and it is alive and well. Uh, We know many people, not just ourselves, that have been targeted, and it's unbelievable how they can come into your life. And if you're not prepared, you might even think that they're your friends at some point. There are people that come into your life to collect data on you just to find out where you're going to be speaking next, what your calendar is going to look like. Uh, We've witnessed so many ways that they wind up infiltrating your life. And some of them, right from the very, very get-go, come as your enemy. And uh, you see that. You you don't know where they're coming from. You've never heard of these people. And suddenly they have these huge smear campaigns going on about you. The first one I think that they tried to do uh, with Dr. Horowitz and myself was uh, they created a phony sex tape, believe it or not. And they like to involve a lot of um, very... uh, devious ways to discredit you, um, especially sexual-wise. Even if it's not true, they will find something that they can just create and embellish, and and that's what they did. Well, why are they coming after you, uh, Sherry and Len? Maybe we should just back up a a moment and and explain why you would be targeted by COINTELPRO. Well, COINTELPRO will target people that they find that are threats to them or that can change the voices of others. And they started targeting Dr. Horowitz in 2007. Uh, He didn't know that they were targeting him. He just thought it was a group of really jealous guys that had nothing better to do in life than to create these smear campaigns and create lies about him. In 2009, I had met Dr. Horowitz, and we started to collaborate on a lot of projects together. And I think the first question that he asked me was, you know, I am this advocate, uh, you know, against vaccinations. I am one of the leading anti-vaccination activists in the world, and your passion is to expose child sex trafficking and really what's going on with the missing children, and you have a passion just, you know, to help the people on the planet really wake up that way. So how do you think the two of us working together, where does our work match? And I said, you know, at this point I can't tell you because I haven't studied COINTELPRO. I said, but it looks like you are a victim of COINTELPRO because you're being attacked. I've read about it. you know, briefly, but look, you know, you're being attacked and targeted by a group of people you don't know, and it looks pretty organized. I said, do you mind if I research the people that are attacking you? And he said, no, you know, please go right ahead. I wish I had more time to do that. I'd love to do it myself and tell me what you find. So I started to research, and the first couple, I guess the first couple days that I started to research it, I found that there was one guy mainly that was attacking Dr. Horowitz, but he would come as a friend. He would never openly say, hey, you know, and call him names. He would shake his hand at conferences. He would hug him, and he was on the same lecture circuit as him, and his name was Ted Gunderson. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. A former FBI field agent. Yeah. And and very much involved in a missing child uh, ring that centered around, I believe it was, was it Lincoln, Nebraska? Yes. 
Yes, it's centered around Boys Town in Nebraska and centered around a missing paper boy it was, uh, he, who also is working with uh, John DeCamp, the former senator. And he, uh, John DeCamp wrote a book called The Franklin Cover-Up. Right. Anyway, so, and, and then when, the more we researched it, we found it to be the, the double Franklin Cover-Up because it was just really uh, a diversion from what was actually happening. It was just not one boy that went missing. There were many, many, many children, especially boys, that actually were targeted and that went missing. And, uh, but Gunderson and, was hailed as a bit of a hero. He was seen as someone who was a whistleblower. Uh, and you're telling us now, and he's no longer here to defend himself, obviously. You're telling no, him that he's... No, but he, but he was here long enough to see that he was exposed. And believe me, I'd never heard of him before I came across his name. I was never in the truth movement circuit. I was, uh, I was never in the... I didn't even know. I mean, I knew that 9-11... Early on, as soon as I saw it, I said, there's something wrong here. I know George Bush has to be involved in this. I was always one of those people. But I never really went into this conspiracy realm and realized that there was a group of people that called themselves patriots and they were part of this truth movement. I had no idea about these kind of things. And the people that were, in fact, the leaders and heroes of the truth movement, including Ted Gunderson himself, were most of the people that were involved in counterintelligence. And I thought, well, why would that be? They're coming out and they're acting like they're heroes and they're pretending to protect we the people, but on one side, but on the other side, they're doing horrible things to people. And I went to research Ted Gunderson and I had found out that he was involved in a lot of bad things. Um, they were people that had said that he made deals um, with the Iran contraband uh, situation. There was people that said he had dealings with Promise Software. I went further and further into it, and the more I delved into it, it was like an octopus. But, but to Dr. Horowitz, when I told him this, he could not believe it. He said, there's no way. He's a nice man. He's really always been nice to me. And I said, okay, I want you to look and research all the things that you've been attacked with. I want you to look at all the emails that you were attacked on. And I want you to see that his name's always on there. His email's always on there. And I want you to look at all the people that are attacking him. And the main guy, his name was Truat the main guy that was attacking Dr. Horowitz. So you would never know that Ted Gunderson was involved with him unless you started to research it. And then there was another website called educate-yourself.org. That is the main leading culprit in all of it that would promote uh, Ted Gunderson and attack Dr. Horowitz and then continuously promote this propaganda. And what they started with was they put Dr. Horowitz on a fake Knights of Malta list. They put him on yes, I'm glad. I'm so glad you mentioned that. We're coming up on a break, Sherry. I, I'm so glad you mentioned that because I know uh, that for many, uh, for many in this arena, if you will, uh, anyone who is uh, perceived to have some connection uh, uh, to, well, let's, I'm just going to say it. You know, the Jesuit orders, uh, and and I, I'm not talking. I'm not. Here, we're not here to malign uh, the Catholics. It's a beautiful religion, but there are, you know, in in most organizations, there are hidden levels and, and so forth. We're talking about a group within a group, etc. Um, and, and, and yes, that, was, that has been brought up to me by close associates of mine. I heard that, uh, that Len accepted uh, uh, you know, uh, an, an order within the, the Jesuits, and they're behind this, and they're behind that. 
Uh, listen, let's uh, let's delve into that when we come back. Sure. Uh, Sherry Kane is with us, investigative journalist, news commentator, and uh, we are talking about COINTELPRO and how she and her associate, Dr. Len Horowitz, have been targeted by COINTELPRO. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. We're back with Sherry Kane, investigative journalist, uh, and... Uh, you, as I, as you mentioned, uh, you uh, connected with Dr. Len Horowitz about seven years ago, and um, you're you're working together on a number of projects. Dr. Len Horowitz was on this program last week talking about uh, Ebola, and we dialed back to his uh, book from about uh, 20 years ago, uh, Emerging Viruses, in which he posited uh, the idea at that time that that Ebola had been weaponized and. Uh, uh, Anyway, so so here we are now, Sherry, and we're talking about COINTELPRO and how the two of you, uh, first of all, Len being targeted by COINTELPRO, this program to discredit him. And you mentioned that he had been uh, placed on this list of uh, in, in which it indicated he was given this uh, order uh, of, is it St. Joseph's of Malta? Uh, it was actually an, a nice hospitaller of St. John of Jerusalem. St. John of Jerusalem. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And and they actually uh, chose him and a bunch of other well-known uh, people that were in the natural health field, men and women both. And they had asked them if they wanted to be part of this organization where you are hanging out with people that are all part of natural medicine. So it had nothing to do with Knights of Malta. There was no, I mean, the people that are all um, part of that organization are all like really, really good people that are against uh, you know, the powers that be and the way they push medicine and pharmaceutical companies. So they all were similar to the way we think in regards to that. Uh, what they did then, the COINTELPRO was, they took that and they said he was a Knight of Malta. And, you know, the, the organization was an independent organization started by uh, Prince Michael of Russia. And it had nothing to do with the Knights of Malta. As a matter of fact, there was a big feud. The people that were, I guess, part of the Knights of Malta did not like this organization at all because they didn't want any kind of confusion that they were, you know, connected or there was any kind of connection, and there wasn't. So there was a feud going on with uh, those and, and the Knights of Malta, but he was never part of a Knights of Malta. And I'm not sure, but it seemed to me that most of these Knights of Malta are men. Uh, there seems to be a lot of sexism going on with that anyway. I'm not sure. But uh, Dr. Horowitz belonged uh, to a group of, with men and women, and they're all like humanitarian. So what they did was they fabricated this and they put him on a list under like uh, J. Edgar Hoover was on the list and um, George W. Bush. So yeah. connecting Len yeah, with FBI Director Hoover and list. Right. yeah, yeah, they they connected him with these really deviant, very wealthy, powerful people and put him on that list. They fabricated it. And the guy that fabricated it, his name was Greg Zemanski. He was another piece of the COINTELPRO puzzle. He had a, an alternative blog, pretended to be a truth movement. Well, I have to throw in, you'll understand why I need to do this. I'm going to say, you know, allegedly, because I don't know. I, and I can't, you know, I have to, you understand, yeah. allegedly. Allegedly. Yes. We're, 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 I'm not sure we're matching that one up. <laughs> Greg Zemanski. Oh, no. Well, yeah, I know. You can say allegedly, and I can tell you that I have all the evidence to prove that he wrote it. So, yes. 
uh, we, we document every single thing, every single thing that comes out. And he wrote it under an alias of the name of Eric Samuelson, J.D. And, and through all the research I did, I found it was uh, indeed Mr. Greg Zemansky that had actually written okay. that. Let me, yeah. let me just say this because, you know, um, you, you know, you've put the names out there and I've, I've said this is alleged, but I, I don't – for the purposes of this program, um, I mean, I don't think the names are as important as the process and what is going on right, uh, right. With, with COINTELPRO. Sure, sure. So if we could, if we could talk about, uh, you know, why, why are they so concerned about Dr. Horowitz and, and you? I mean – uh, you know, you're both living on on this beautiful island in Hawaii. You're talking about uh, the you know the dangers of vaccines and and how certain viruses are being weaponized. But there are a lot of people. I mean, I talk about this on this program, and and uh, uh, as far as I know, I haven't been targeted. Who knows? Maybe they already have a dossier on me ready to go. But Jenny McCarthy, for crying out loud, uh, you know, has spoken out against vaccines very vocally, and and she has she's had a huge platform. Why you and Len? Well, I want to go back to Jenny McCarthy for a moment and tell you that, yes, they, they did discredit her. They do make her out to, to appear to be a bimbo, and, and they do all of that for a reason, because they want people to look at her and say, well, we don't believe what she says anyway, because she doesn't make any sense. She's a, she's a dumb blonde. I mean, they have really put that out into the media. They've never really uh, put her out there as an intelligent woman that everyone should listen to, and, they, and that's for a reason, of course. It's all designed that way. Um, I could just tell you back in 2007, when uh, Dr. Horowitz wrote his book, uh, The Love the Real Da Vinci Code, and also when he went and he wrote, uh, um, or actually when he was on the uh, CNN under uh, Jeremiah Wright, was where he was interviewed on by the National Press Conference, and they asked him, do you really believe that when you say that AIDS was created against people of color, that disease was created against people of color? And he said, have you not read Dr. Horowitz's book, Emerging Viruses? Well, I can tell you that it appears to me, all in that period between 2007, when the book Love the Real Da Vinci Code came out, and when he was on... Uh, CNN under Jeremiah Wright saying, hey, you know, look at this book, meaning giving Dr. Horowitz a louder voice saying, I read the book, and I'm, you know, the, the future president listens to me. I'm his spiritual advisor. Now I'm telling you I read this book. Well, listen to me. And that, that made Dr. Horowitz a huge threat. It made his voice a huge threat. And I believe that's the time that they really decided that they were going to do what they can to keep him back. And then they created... Uh, a, a phony Wikipedia page for him, and they he couldn't edit it, he couldn't get in it, he tried to delete it, he tried to edit it, he tried to do many things with it, he couldn't do it, they created it, and basically it was designed that way, so he couldn't get in, but it did mention the book, the Emerging Viruses book, and Emerging Viruses, Asenable, and Nature Accent, and or Intentional, and they recently deleted that off the internet. Uh, I looked at the, I mean, if you look at, uh, there's a website that we have actually, waronwethepeople.com, or you can go to ebolagate.com, E-B-O-L-A, gate.com. You can see the Wikipedia 
I, I actually tracked it, how when they decided to delete it, I went back into the records, how they were deciding since like 2008 that they were going to delete it. And then they had people that said no, people that said yes. And, and they were just, you know, really kind of bashing him and people were saying no. And uh, they decided then they were going to delete it. And they then at the same time as deleting the Wikipedia page in that same time period, they deleted both of our YouTube channels. Uh, this is right before the latest Ebola fright came out. I know that uh, I had mentioned to, uh, to Len Horowitz, uh, because on this program we're starting to do Google Hangouts because we're trying to reach uh, a whole new audience. And, of course, you know, young people today, they watch and listen, uh, not to terrestrial radio or, or to television. They, they watch YouTube. And so we're trying to, you know, reach that audience. And, and I mentioned to Len about, can we do a Google Hangout? And he said, I've been banned from YouTube. And I didn't quite understand what that was all about. But uh, you filled in some yeah, dots. Yeah, well, Google, I can tell you, is heavily involved with the people that were attacking us. Now, the, the people that were attacking us, they come as white supremacists, believe it or not. They come, they, they attack us because, first of all, we're both born Jewish. Uh, we both uh, we both love Yeshua, and we publicize. Yes, we love Yeshua. We're both Jewish, and they'll send us things. Especially uh, one of the main guys, he'll send us stuff saying, uh, "Well, how can you love Jesus when Jesus had blonde hair and blue eyes, and you don't?" And 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 the guy that's attacking us has a store online, so obviously he doesn't care about his store online to send that to a journalist. Uh, and you know, I keep all the records on this. And, I mean, I've been studying the COINTELPRO and how they've been attacking us for a really long time. And then when they wanted to continue with their defamation, finally we got in touch with uh, Google. We were going to actually, we filed a lawsuit against Google, and we got in touch with two of their attorneys who told us that they would continue to keep the defamation going as long as they could, and we recorded them telling us that. Well, there was recent uh, revelations from Julian Assange, who've who had secret meetings with uh, the former chairman of Google, Eric Schmidt, and uh, Assange, of course, of WikiLeaks, was rather uh, taken aback by by Schmidt's revelations and 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 the the cozy connection between Google and uh, the NSA. Yeah, I believe that they're one in the same. So does Dr. Horowitz. Okay, we've got to take a time out here, sure. Sherry. We'll. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I've got four minutes. I thought I was getting uh, the, the wrap-up sign. Apologies. Okay. So, but, but for you personally, um, I mean, we, we know that, for example, back in, in the 60s, the FBI would send, and this was part of this whole program, they would send Martin Luther King Jr. letters urging him to kill himself. Uh, this is how nasty it can get. I mean, these guys play for keeps. They, it's not just about, you know, uh, creating false uh, Wikipedia entries and, and so forth like that. They can play rough. Do you, do either you or, or Len fear for your life? We believe strongly. We have a lot of faith in God, and we believe that, yes, when our time is up, we will go. Uh, we don't think that they have any power to be able to harm us. We do believe, yes, that it is possible that they are trying to plot, that they do try to plot. They have done everything short of kill us. I mean, they have almost rendered us homeless. They have uh, stolen the title to our home. They have destroyed Dr. Horowitz's family. They have destroyed his corporations and companies. I mean, we, we have witnessed everything that they have done. And they also like to create, and they've harmed one of our friends, actually. They, 
anybody who tries to support us, I mean, they will try and do things to the people, especially if they know they have a weakness or a heart condition. They'll try and uh, target that person more, and they have harmed one of our friends that way or supported us. They brainwashed another one of our friends uh, who, who just one day, I mean, lost his, his mind, it appeared. And we also, uh, we are friends with a, a woman who we became friends with after we were targeted, was targeted by the same people, and she defected from the, the CIA. And she was a good friend of, uh, of Ted Gunderson. And she, when I came up with the research, she said, well, I want you to look at my research. Nobody looked at me before. Everyone thought I was crazy. And your research matches mine. Her name's Barbara Hartwell. She's a really, a really good lady, but just has lost her life virtually. I mean, just anything, her, any financial ability to get any kind of jobs, anything, to, to do anything in life. They took pictures of her house. They put it on the internet of her life and did everything because she wanted to defect from the CIA coming from a family. Do you feel like you're, you're in exile in your own country? Yes. As a matter of fact, we do. We definitely feel like that. We've gone to the FBI regarding these matters. And we know now that these people all are working or connected somehow within the FBI, not at the, the, the guy you talk at, with at the desk usually, but because they are, they're working on a need-to-know basis. But there are people within these organizations, the CIA, the FBI, and the NSA, that are all connected somehow to what's happening to us. Now, Listen, we I've got to take another break here, um, uh, Sherry, so just hold on. and sure. I just want to leave on this note, and we'll come back and discuss further. But you know, talking about journalists in, in, in the United States, and I know a number of them that are you know, filing reports from Mexico and Costa Rica because they, feel, they felt compelled they had to leave the country. They feared for their life. And, of course, we all know the story of, of Michael Hastings and uh, allegedly working on a – well, not allegedly. He was working on a story on, on the CIA director at the time and killed in a rather um, – well, the circumstances surrounding that fiery crash uh, last year were, were somewhat bizarre. Anyway, uh, you know, as I say, uh, who's ever behind Pro? these programs? And I believe that they still exist. They play rough. We'll come back and uh, continue to discuss Pro and other matters with investigative journalist Sherry Kane right here on The Conspiracy Show. We're back with Sherry Kane. I mentioned Michael Hastings uh, before the break and, and because I'd asked you directly whether you feel threatened and you said, no, I don't think they have the power to, to, to do anything to us. But, but clearly, and I, I don't want to be alarmist, or, uh, but, but clearly they do, Sherry. They do have that power. Yes, they do. And I, and I want to go back to the FBI. We went to the FBI and we told them, like, this is what's happening to us and we're being targeted and we showed them our evidence and they took our names and they went in the back. They came back and they told us, and this is in Hawaii, they told us, do not ever come back to this office. Do not ever try and bring us this again. We never want to see you here again. And I remember looking at Dr. Horowitz, think, and I mean, I already knew that this was a possibility that more likely than not that they were going to reject what we had to say. But when they told us this, I think my heart dropped at that moment. And I said, I can't believe really everything I thought and what you thought is true. Who, who says this to people? I mean, right. At that moment, you realize you are alone. Yes. We realized then that we were alone. And people love us. They love us all over the world. They love what we're doing. But again, it's always with a little, like, a step between them and us. 
we like to watch what you do and we like to hear what you do, but people people get fearful when they know you are targeted and they know we are because we send them the evidence, we show them the evidence straight out. You know, I was on Facebook not too long ago and, and there were a lot of groups being started, Ebola groups and virus groups, and this is another way that they go. And and I go on, the, I join those groups so I could post information that would be helpful about the truth, about the origins of Ebola, and a lot of stuff regarding Dr. Horowitz's research. And I always get opposition. And uh, I'll get people who say, don't post that conspiracy stuff here. And I'll say to them, no, this is actually the truth. I said, you know, you're posting the World Health Organization and you're posting the CDC information all over this, but you're not looking at any other opinion. And they just, uh, then I'll have like the moderator, who's usually the same woman running all the groups, and she'll sort of chew me out there telling me that like I'm, I'm out of my mind for posting propaganda. And, well, you know, that raises a good, an, an interesting issue or point here. And that is, I, I often wonder if we even, if they, rather, even need Quantel Pro now because they've, such, they've done such an effective job at recruiting uh, not only the, the, the corporate-owned media, but, but many, uh, many people who, you know, get their information from the, the, uh, the mainstream media. In other words, they don't need agents working in the field actively discrediting you. They've, they've recruited just about everybody out there who buys into this whole concept of uh, what Leo Strauss called the, the, the noble lie, uh, the granddaddy of, of neoconservatism, although that idea of the noble lie has been around since Plato's Republic, and that is that, that we, can, we the, the state, can justify uh, using COINTELPRO and other programs to discredit, disrupt, even assassinate um, uh, opponents in order to maintain social harmony and preserve institutions for the greater good. What do you think of that? Well, I believe in the instances that I'm witnessing these trolls who are relentless on the Internet and on the social networking groups, I think that those are definitely paid, whether they're paid by the CIA, the NSA, the FBI, or whether they're paid by multi-corporations, um, they are paid. And there's no one that's going to sit and create these uh, sites, these groups all day long and wait for you to, to, to type something, write something. I mean, there's, there's no, I mean, there may be people out there, but really, to me, it appears that these are all paid propagandists. Now, the, the people that were sent to attack us, the group, it's just one cell. We call it a cell. These, this cell has been pretty much broken up. A lot of their sites are gone now. We did a pretty good job in exposing what they were doing, how they were doing it, who was doing it, and their methods. It was very, very difficult for them to do what they did to us. Mm. I guess my my fear is that they they uh, the people behind these Quantel pros they're mm. they, they're they're winning, they're winning because uh, even if you if you take them out of the equation, as I was mentioning earlier, there's there, the the number of people that are that are they're just it's legion that will come after you just because they don't want to hear that their you know that their government or whoever these unelected oligarchs are above them. Uh, are are capable of such a cynical, sinister campaign. People don't... It's almost a preservation mechanism. They don't want 
You know, it's like Howard Beale in Network. Just, we know things are bad. Just leave us alone in our living rooms with our TVs and our steel-belted radials. I don't want to know. Yeah, we witnessed that a lot. And that's why they have the New Age movement. The New Age movement is another movement that's been infiltrated. And we'll have people that are part of that movement that befriend us. And they'll try to neutralize us. Okay, we'll uh, we'll, we'll pick up on that when we come back. Sherry Keene stays with us, investigative journalist and COINTELPRO target along with Dr. Len Horowitz. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Uh, we're back with uh, Sherry Keene. Uh, Sherry, before the break, you were talking about uh, uh, another group that's been uh, targeted? Well, yes. I mean, all the movements have been targeted, but another one that people don't really think about is the New Age movement. The, the New Age movement is the one that's going to come to you and say, just, you know, let's talk positive and let's just promote peace and love and stop don't even worry about all the bad things that come up because they're all taken care of already. Oh, this isn't a, this isn't a, these aren't targets. These are perps. These are part, these are people that are part, yeah. Right. These are people that are part of a new age movement groups and they will come and try to neutralize us. They'll say, basically they love our 528 revolution stuff. Even though, of course, they don't like the peace and love aspect of it, they do come and support that. A lot of them do. But that's the way they'll try to gear us away from talking about anything that has to do with the pharmaceutical stuff. So it's, it's interesting, or the child sex trafficking stuff, which, again, is one and the same. It's interesting how that all connects to each other. But they'll come and say, you know, you guys are great. We love you. You inspire us. You've taught us so much. You've opened up our eyes to all the to all these bad people that are out there as COINTELPRO and how they operate, and you've done it such a good job at it. You know, I think you should just concentrate on 528 and the frequency of love now. That would be so much better for you. Mm, with friends like that, who needs enemies? <laughs> well, we we love 528, and we love to promote it, but also people need to understand, and they need to wake up from the truth. I mean, they are poisoning their children right now. They're poisoning themselves with drugs and vaccinations, and it's like they need to be aware of what the ingredients are that they're putting into their bodies. They need to understand that and wake up. You know, there's so many conspiracies out there with what they're doing to us. They're, they're real live, real conspiracies. They're not based on conspiracy theory. How do you, how do you differentiate, and this is important, I think, uh, how do you differentiate between uh, people who just disagree with you uh, because they may, you know, they may look at the scientific literature and say, no, there are vaccines that are that, that are efficacious and they are safe and this study says so-and-so and this study says so-and-so and they're willing to dialogue with you, but they disagree adamantly. Uh, how do you, dis, you know, differentiate between those people and the, the, the COINTELPRO people who essentially want to destroy you? Well, normally when people... They don't have all the information, and you tell them, well, look, I have information. I'd like you to read my article, or I'd like you to read this book, and then let's talk and have a a debate after that. You can come. You can ask me questions. You can ask Dr. Horowitz questions. And after you have enough of the same knowledge as we have or a basis of it, we can come and have a, a, a talk and sit down together. But if I tell you that all these things are happening or they're possible, and I tell you, please read this article or watch this video or read this book, and you flat out refuse or tell me I'm not going to read that that, that conspiracy BS, I'm not going to read that, to me, that right there is a red flag. 
I mean, normally somebody who's an intelligent person will be open unless, of course, either one, you're COINTELPRO, or two, there's also another thing. They're employing a lot of pharmaceutical reps out there. And a lot of them, you may even know, I may even know, they may be people that are our friends. We, never, we don't even know they're doing that right now. And it, it seems the way they put a lot of the movies in the last few years out, they made pharmaceutical reps to be sort of a glamorous kind of job. And, and, and also um, with a lot of money you can make in it for little schooling, a little training. It's just you need to have, you know, if you're fairly good looking and you're fairly young, you can get a job as a pharmaceutical rep and you're a good salesperson by nature. It's easy for some people. And all you need to do is go to the doctor's office and leave the literature or go to the pharmacist and bring the literature and bring the samples mm. and leave your card. And to, to some people, that's like, wow, that seems so simple. I should just do that, right? And uh, that right there is where you have all their little, you know, I had a friend that I actually went to school with. I, he's kind of like one of their little minions, I would say, because he goes and he he speaks up on behalf of them, and he doesn't want to hear that, yes, you know, Merck was, Merck was involved with the Nazis, and he doesn't want to know anything about right. the background of the pharmaceutical companies. Well, you're right. You know, that's what I call the fur-line trap, and that's how they recruit. Maybe I'm even guilty of that to some extent because uh, – you know, how, how do they get you? They, they, you, get, you get a nice job, a cushy job. Uh, you've got now all of a sudden you've got your kids in a, in a private school. Maybe you've got a second car. Uh, you've got you to pay for these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you know where the line is drawn. You know which side of the bread is buttered. You're not, you're not going to, uh, unless you, you know, you're an incredibly courageous uh, person, why are you going to risk that? Why would you risk, you know, in your own mind, why would I risk my children's future? You know, why am I going to risk... Uh, losing the ability to pay for a mortgage and keep a roof over my kid's head. That's how they get us. Yes. The fur line trap. Yes, yes, you're absolutely right. And, I mean, and, you know, money money and uh, health care, whether you know, a lot of times that they offer, of course, free, free health care with these packages that they give people, which is also very, looks really great for a family. And they, they do this in other ways, too. I mean, here in Hawaii, it's crazy how they enslave people. And to me, it's all, it's all slavery, because you become enslaved to, to something that maybe you don't even believe in because of the money and because of the lifestyle. And for instance, I'm going to tell you, in Hawaii, you go to the stores here in Hawaii, and, and they have, like, for instance, they'll have a, a dozen eggs, and the eggs will cost like $8 or $12 for a dozen eggs. And you look around and you say, okay, there's a lot of poverty in this area. Why are the prices of the food so high? So then I went and I spoke with the cashiers and I said, tell me why the prices are so high. And she said, well, because we have EBT here. And EBT, which is sort of like the welfare system, it allows people to come, even if you come from a wealthy family, there was this young kid, this you know, ne'er-to-well kid who didn't do anything at home. Your parents told you, get off the couch and get yourself a job. You're like, oh, I'm moving to Hawaii. You move to Hawaii, you know, you start whatever, you're, you're doing your smoke, you're doing your whatever, and next thing you know, ah, you know what, I can collect EBT and I don't even have to, you know, have a job and I can live like this and that, and that's what they do. They get them enslaved, they get health care, they get free money, and the stores then 
they need to collect the money back. See, if you go and you buy something with your EBT from the store, the EBT, the government doesn't reimburse the merchant back all the money, so they have to up the price. So right, normally right. if eggs would be $6 instead of charging, and even charging $6 for those who pay cash and credit, and 8 or 8 to $12 for those who pay with EBT, it doesn't work like that. Everybody has to just pay the one price. Well, so, yes. In other words, we're, to, a, to a certain extent, we are all complicit in this. Yes. Uh, so in the time remaining, tell us, what is it people need to know about who Dr. Leonard Horowitz is. I've known Len for 20 years, and, and uh, you know we, we talked at length on mainstream media outlets in this country, 50,000-watt you know, blowtorch radio stations up here in Canada. We talked about uh, whether or not AIDS and Ebola were created in a lab on a mainstream corporate-owned radio station. Uh, but, but, you know, what, what do people know, need to know now about Dr. Len Horowitz? I can just tell you that I know him personally very well, and Dr. Horowitz is a hero. He is a really, really good soul. He, when I met him, not so much anymore, he is very trusting. Uh, hard for hard for him to believe that anybody could come and intentionally want to harm another person. Always looking for the good in people, no matter what. And his heart is really for we the people. He has given his life up. He has given his life up for helping people and and doing everything possible to educate them, knowing that there's always the threat, <clears throat> dealing with these threats, over, especially over the past years with the COINTELPRO. He has overcome it all and has such a strong faith in God to know that he's on a path, that, he's, that he was meant to do the work he's doing, that he is definitely working for the Creator, and that everything that he does, it's all done with the intention of helping to better the planet, to make the planet a better place, to educate people and enlighten them to the truth about things that could potentially harm them and about the way to, un- to open up their eyes to what's happening with the government, not just our governments, but all governments. And once again, and help oh. them and help and assist them. He saved so many lives of babies and parents who uh, who are going to get their children vaccinated, and he's just empowered them to live healthy lives and educate them on how to stay healthy. I mean, he's just one of the most amazing people. If anybody ever has the pleasure to meet him, it's uh, it's one of those true heroes in life. And he's also on top of it. He, he is a genius. I can tell you that anything he puts his mind to. He, he will become the best at in that field. And again, state for the record, uh, his association with the Knights of Malta. <laughs> Dr. Horowitz was never part of the Knights of Malta. And uh, he's never been part of that organization. He's never been affiliated with that organization. And he's, he belongs to groups that are just for helping people, humanitarians and other people that are helping people in the natural health field, heroes like that. And so I can just tell you that, no, Dr. Hart, it was all – and, you know, they did come out and say and admit that what they wrote about him was – a lie, or no, that it was not true, that he, he was never a Knight of Malta because we, we debunked it. Dr. Horowitz wrote articles on that, basically, and I, I can send you the link, which you can post to on your, 
along with this, if you'd like. Um, I, I I could tell that uh, that Len was uh, that he, that he is under some considerable stress when we had talked last week on the program and, and uh, we had a bit of a mix-up on, on, on the time he was to go on air and I think he, because he got mixed up on the time to go on air, he started to suspect maybe he was being victimized again and that maybe we had turned on him. Uh, I mean, do, do you have trouble telling, you know, who's wearing the, the black hats and who's wearing the white hats and who your friends are anymore? Well, I think, you know, now that he's gotten... Uh, He's met up with you again. I mean, he has no doubt that you're a good guy. And he says nothing but great things about you. And and because I asked him, you know, uh, before I took this interview, what he thought. And he says, oh, you're going to love Richard. And he's an amazing interviewer. And, and that's what he said about you. So I was really, I felt very comfortable taking an interview with you. If if he didn't feel that way um, as one of his, his best friends, he would have told me otherwise. So I can tell you that no, he doesn't think anything like that about you. Um, and there are people, yes, that have in the past pretended to uh, support us in some way, and they did turn out to be working on the other side. I know that when Len went to Ted Gunderson and questioned him about his affiliations with the people that were he was being attacked by, Ted Gunderson wouldn't take the call and then told third parties that Dr. Horowitz was working on the other side. All right. So, I, I got to wrap this up, uh, Sherry. Uh, but uh, um, my best regards to Dr. Horowitz. Thank you for coming on. And uh, so many uh, websites here: uh, healthyworldaffiliates.com, uh, 528records.com. We'll link up to those on my website here at richardserrett.com. But, but thanks awesome. again. And I want to thank you so much, uh, Richard. And I'd like to come on with Dr. Horowitz and do a show together with him on this. We will, for sure. Yeah, that would be wonderful together. I think that we could uh, definitely talk for some things that we maybe have missed on this program. But I can tell you that um, we appreciate what you're doing. And thank you so much for the work you're doing. Likewise. Thank you, Sherry. Thank you. All right. My thanks to Tim Spreen, Albert Vinzel, back next week with a brand new program, Move Over Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. Happy birthday to you. Hey, Bye. where's mom going? She hasn't even opened her presents. Well, son, she just turned 65, which means there's new offers for her at Specsavers. What? Yep, an eye exam now costs her nothing, and she can get 30% off lens upgrades with any pair of glasses. Wow. So, can we cut the cake now? You betcha. No-cost eye exams are for eligible seniors at all participating locations with costs covered by provincial health care. Conditions apply. See specsavers.ca. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.